In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So today we're going to speak about another topic related to um, the Orthodox faith, and it has to do with our belief in the ever-virginity of St. Mary, uh, the Theotokos, the Mother of God. Um, there are the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. Um, we both believe that St. Mary was a virgin before, during, and after her pregnancy. Um, so that she remained a virgin for her entire life. Um, but there are many Christians, like specifically most of the Protestant Christians, that believe that she uh, you know, had other children after the Lord Jesus. And they use um, evidence and, and, and references from the scripture to back up this uh, belief. So we're going to speak about why we believe that St. Mary is the ever-virgin. And actually, um, an interesting thing about the icon of the Theotokos, which is here, this is the icon of the Theotokos. We, when we see St. Mary in an icon, we always see her with the Lord Jesus, right? Because the reason we venerate St. Mary so much is because of her giving birth to Christ. And so if you notice, there's three stars here on her clothing. There's one on her left shoulder, there's one on her head, and there's one on her right shoulder. And if you see any icon of St. Mary, the Theotokos, you will notice that there are these three stars. Um, the three stars represent her virginity before, during, and after uh, her, her pregnancy. Okay, So again, the iconography that we have in the church is pointing toward our faith, our belief, our dogma. And so this is the reason why we depict her this way with the three stars representing her virginity. Um, so we're going to speak about a few points. The first thing um, which really sets the context of what we believe about St. Mary and her relationship to St. Joseph. When you see um, pictures of St. Mary and St. Joseph, you know, if you just go on Google online and try to find pictures of St. Mary, St. Joseph, or pictures of the nativity scene where Mary and Joseph are there or, or whatnot, um, many times you'll see a picture where it's like a young couple, you know, and they have the Lord Jesus. Okay, but actually this wasn't the case. Uh, St. Joseph was much, much older than St. Mary, and I'm going to explain that here in a second. Um, then there's the idea that in the scripture it mentions the brothers of the Lord. Okay, how do we understand the brothers of the Lord? If, if St. Mary was a virgin for the rest of her life, how is it that, uh, that the Lord would have brothers? Um, there is a specific verse that speaks about St. Mary did not know Joseph until she gave birth. So what does that word until mean? Because some people use that to mean that she didn't have any relationship with him until she gave birth, but then afterwards she did. Um, and then also when we speak about the Lord Christ being the firstborn, when you speak about someone being the firstborn, maybe it implies that there's a secondborn, a thirdborn, and so on. Um, and then finally, I'm going to speak about some of the symbolism in the Old Testament regarding St. Mary, which helps us to understand her virginity um, and, and how this was part of the prophecy actually in the Old Testament. So first, what is the story of St. Mary? So first, St. Mary was born to devout parents, Anna and Joachim, right, in the city of Nazareth. Um, and uh, St. Anna, she uh, was barren for many years, and she was old, and she was asking God to give her a child. And so God sent Archangel Gabriel to announce to uh, St. Joachim uh, that uh, St. Anna would conceive and give birth to a child. Okay, so they were been asking for this. They vowed that the child would become a servant in the house of God. So very similar to the story of Hannah, that she asked God um, to give her a son, 
And if God gave her a son, she would um, dedicate him to the temple, to serve in the temple. So also here, they vowed that if God were to give them a child, that she would become a servant in the house of God for her, her, her whole life. So she was consecrated to God, and she actually lived in the temple, right, at the age of three, where she served the Lord for nine years. So she was living in the temple, St. Mary, and she was serving God in the temple from age three to age 12, okay? When she was 12, Zacharias, the priest, wanted to find a suitable guardian to take care of St. Mary because when she gets to a certain age as a female, she can't continue to be living in the temple. She has to go and live somewhere, okay? Um, so they wanted to find a caretaker for St. Mary. They wanted to find someone to take care of her, not a husband, okay? And this is the, this is the key difference here. It's not like St. Mary chose to get married to like a man who is her age, okay? They chose, they, they wanted to find someone who could take care of St. Mary because she was a very special person. She was dedicated and consecrated to God. So what they chose to do, it was something similar to what was done in the Old Testament um, with Aaron, Aaron the priest, the brother of Moses. Uh, when, when God wanted to confirm that the priesthood of Aaron was the true priesthood and Aaron was the true priest, uh, God made a miracle where he allowed the rod of Aaron to bud so that like plants would grow out of the, the rod of Aaron, the stick, okay? as a miracle to confirm that the priesthood of Aaron was uh, the true and authentic priesthood. So something similar was done here. There was many candidates who were considered to be the ones to be the caretakers of St. Mary. They took their, their staffs or their rods, okay? These were t 12 people from the house of David, the tribe of Judah, right? So they were all from the tribe of Judah. And they took these rods of these men and they placed them in the temple, okay? And, and giving God the, to be the one to choose who is going to be the one to serve St. Mary and to be the caretaker of St. Mary? The following day, the rod of St. Joseph, the carpenter, is the one who budded, just like what happened with Aaron the priest. So this was God choosing uh, Joseph to be the caretaker of St. Mary. Yes. Yes, this is from the tradition. Yes, I can find that for you and I'll send it to you. Okay, yeah. Yes, I believe, yes, yes. Um, okay, so, so when, you, when you look at the story from this perspective, it changes the way you see their whole relationship, right? That the even even without any other evidence, right? Even without any other understanding of interpretation of anything that's said in Scripture, knowing this story alone, that if this is true, then the relationship they had was not like a conjugal relationship. It wasn't. It wasn't a relationship between a husband and a wife in the normal way you would think, right? There was a huge age difference between them. Saint uh, Saint Joseph was chosen to be a caretaker, a protector, a guardian of Saint Mary, right? but not, not a husband in the traditional sense, okay? So what are some of the verses, some of the, the, the writings in the scripture that are confusing maybe or controversial or some people might look at them and say, no, this is from scripture. It's clear that, that, they, you know, that they had other children, okay? So the, the scripture mentions uh, the Lord's brothers, okay? Now one thing we, to understand is 
Obviously, English was not the original language that the Bible was written in. Okay, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and was also translated into Greek, which is the Septuagint. So whoever is the one translating the scripture into English, there is by necessity some kind of interpretation that's being done because there's certain words that can have multiple meanings. Okay, and based on our understanding or based on the interpreter's understanding of the story, they will select a word that fits their understanding of the story, their understanding of what happened. Okay, so there are nine passages in the scripture, okay, which state explicitly that the Lord had brothers. Okay, and it uses the word brothers. Okay, so um, I'm going to read for you just four of them, just so we can kind of get a sense of, um, of, of, of this. So in Mark 6, 3, it says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. So it mentions brothers, and it actually mentions sisters as well, and it gives some names. Okay, uh, John chapter 2, verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Acts 1, 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. 1 Corinthians 9.5 Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Right? So the, 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 the mention here of brothers, okay, uh, can, you know, people can understand it in, 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 a, in a different way. And obviously the people who interpreted this, um, to a large extent, maybe believed that these were actually the brothers of the Lord and they chose to tr in translate it this way. There's some other references here as well at the bottom that also mention um, brothers. Okay, So how do we understand it? In all of these instances, okay, here in the New Testament, the word brother is... Uh, the Greek word uh, that was used is adelphos. That's the Greek word that's actually written um, for this. The Septuagint, okay, uh, which is Old Testament, but it's the Greek translation of the original Hebrew, okay, um, and it was used by the apostles, includes a specific word for cousin, which is separate from adelphos. So, for instance, if, if you wanted to say uh, uh, words for cousin, uh, like adelphinos or anespecios, okay? The less specific word, adelphos, can mean brother, cousin, kinsman, fellow believer, fellow countryman, and is used consistently throughout the Septuagint. So the words adelphos is a very generic word, okay? It can mean many different things, and it doesn't even have to mean blood relative. It could mean just a fellow believer. It could mean someone who is a fellow countryman, someone who like is in the from the same country as me, someone who is a close associate to me, a kinsman, right? Um, so it could mean a lot of different things. So when this word is translated, okay, to, to mean uh, brother, there is definitely a, a, an interpretation that's being done, okay? What are some other examples here of this word being used, uh, even in the Old Testament, okay? So remember, the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, translated into Greek. So in Greek... Um, the same word, Adelphos, can be used, okay? So the relationship between Abram and Lot, right? Abram was the uncle of Lot. We're sure of that. We, we, we know that. But in Genesis 14, 16, it says, So he, which is Abram, brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother, 
and the word here is adelphos, lot, and his goods, as well as the women and the people. So the word here, brother, is not indicating a blood brother, like an, uh, an actual brother, but it's a, it's a, it means like a relative, like a close relative. In this case, his nephew. Another example is Laban and Jacob, who are also uncle and nephew. In Genesis 29, it says, And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative, Adelphos, and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. So again, the word Adelphos here, this time, it's translated relative. Okay? Ragul and Tobit. Okay, this is from the book of Tobit, the Deuterocanonical book. Okay? They were brothers. In Tobit 7, verse 2, it says, And, and Ragul, gazing upon Tobias... And, and, uh, and said to his, Anna, his wife, how much like my cousin Adelphos is this young man? Right? So he's saying, Raguel is the brother of Tobit, and Tobit's son is Tobias. So, so Raguel is speaking about his nephew, and he's saying, how much like my brother, okay, in this case, Adelphos, is this young man? So again, this word is, is used here, right, in this case, to mean his brother. And there's other examples. So there's a lot of examples where this word is used. And it can mean different things in different contexts. Okay? Other important point is that there is nowhere where it explicitly says in the scripture uh, that Mary is the mother of Jesus' brothers. Right? It doesn't say that St. Mary is the mother of the brothers of Jesus. It just uses the term brothers to describe these people. It never says that St. Mary is their mother. Okay. Also, if St. Mary had children, then why did the Lord entrust her to St. John the Beloved at the crucifixion? Yeah, we know that when the Lord was dying on the cross, he told St. John the Beloved, one of the disciples, he told him to take care of St. Mary, that St. Mary would now like, symbolically be his mother and that he would symbolically be her son and that she would live with him. Okay. So if, if, if St. Mary had other children, all these other children that, you know, the, the names of these brothers that were mentioned in the scripture, then they would be the ones to take care of St. Mary. Why, why would the Lord entrust St. John the Beloved to do that? Okay. So when it comes to this idea of the scripture using the term brothers to describe the relationship between Jesus and these other people, we do not believe that this is a blood relationship of blood brothers, okay? We believe they could be his cousins, okay, from, um, from, from, from like a relationship from his, his mother uh, or, from her or from Joseph, um, but not as direct brothers who came from St. Mary. Okay. Another point of contention or question is uh, the word until, okay? I'm going to read for you this verse here. Okay, this is in Matthew 1.25. It says, And Joseph did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. So there's two points here, actually. The first one is the word till, and the second one is referring to him as the firstborn. Okay? So in some sense, when you, in when you interpret this a certain way, you could understand it to mean that Joseph did not know her until she had her son, and then after she had her son, he, d she did, he did know her. He did have... Uh, like physical relationship with her if you uh, if you understand the word until in that way okay because there are many times in our common language where we use the word until in that sense okay but that's not the only word that's not the only way you could use the word until 
So for instance, um, so, so, so in that sense, you could say what? I will stay up until you come home. Okay, so I'm going to stay up, and then when you come home, I'm going to sleep. So that's a change that happens before and after. However, in the Bible, and actually even in common usage, there's times where we use the word until in a different way. Okay, and here are some examples. In Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Okay, so if, if the word until necessitates there's a change after and before and after, then this would mean that the Lord is going to sit at the right hand, so Christ is going to sit at the right hand of the Father until uh, his enemies are... Uh, 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 become like like he's he crushes his enemies like under his feet and then after that he's going to stop sitting at the right hand of the father so he's going to be at the right hand of the father until something happens and then he's no longer going to be at the right hand of the father but that's not how we understand it we understand this to mean that the lord christ is at the right hand of the father all the time right not it's not that's not going to change once his enemies are made his footstool also in Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Okay? For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So how do we understand that to me? Like it's laboring with groans and birth pangs until this moment, and then at this moment it is no longer laboring? Right? That's not how we understand it. In 1 Timothy 4.13, St. Paul is speaking to St. Timothy, and he says, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Again, do we understand that to mean that St. Paul is telling St. Timothy, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, and then once I come, no longer give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine? Again, we're not under, we don't understand it that way. And there's, some, there's other examples as well from Scripture. So it means that the way that we understand the word, okay, it doesn't mean that there has to be a change that happens afterward. So the use of the word until in this verse, Matthew 125, we'll read it again, okay? And Joseph did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. What does that actually mean? It's the same way as using the word before, okay? He's saying he did not know her before she brought forth her firstborn son, Okay? So, so the status didn't change. The emphasis here, and the reason that it was written this way, was to emphasize that, that she was a virgin, that she gave birth as a virgin. He did not know her during this period. It wasn't trying to say anything about after. It was just trying to say in this, in this period, okay, he did not know her, right? She was, she was a virgin. So that's the way we understand and we can respond to this objection about the word until. What about the, the word firstborn? Okay. It says here in Luke 2, verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So someone might think that if the word firstborn here means that he was the firstborn, but then there came others after him. Okay. In English, firstborn usually, though not always, implies that the existence of subsequent children, okay? But if you look at the Greek word, the Greek word prototokos, there is no such implication. The firstborn doesn't mean that there has to be a second or third, okay? So here's an example. In Hebrews 1.6, it says, But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. 
This is like God speaking about the Son. God is saying when he brings the firstborn, who is the Son, into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So, the, so Christ is the firstborn of the Father, the Son of God. We call him that he is the firstborn of the Father. But there is no secondborn, and there is no thirdborn. But we call him the firstborn, and that's what the word prototokos means in Greek. The use of prototokos in reference to the incarnation of the word of God does not mean that there is a secondborn, okay, a word of God. There is only one. So again, the way that you understand the original language is important, right? Because translations sometimes are not clear, or, or, or they, they imply something different. They have a different meaning. The term firstborn is not used to express order of birth, but instead a title that indicates that Christ is the heir of the kingdom of heaven. Because in the Old Testament, who was the one who would inherit from the father? It was the firstborn. Whoever is the firstborn, he would be the one to inherit. Christ is the firstborn, so he inherits the kingdom of heaven from the father. It has nothing to do with anyone else being born after him. In Revelation 1, verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the king of the earth. Right? Again, he is the firstborn from the dead. There isn't a secondborn. Okay. Finally, I just want to mention uh, two examples from the Old Testament that are symbols of St. Mary. And we can see how we can understand them. The first example occurred in a vision that Ezekiel saw, Ezekiel the prophet, about uh, the future temple. Okay? He's having a vision that God is giving him about the future temple. And it, sa it said in this vision, Ezekiel 44, it says, And the Lord said to me, This gate, the gate that he's speaking about, is the eastern gate of the temple. So he's seeing a vision of the temple, and one of the things that he sees is there is a gate, okay, on the eastern side of the temple. It says, uh, this gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it, therefore it shall be shut. Okay, and this gate is a symbol of St. Mary. So it's saying, because the Lord God has entered through this gate, the gate will be shut, and no one else will enter through this gate again. And in this sense, this gate represents St. Mary, that the Lord Christ came from the womb of St. Mary, and so no one else will come through this womb. St. Mary is consecrated to God, and that once she gives birth to the Lord, she will not give birth to anyone again. This east gate is a symbol of St. Mary. Also, another example of this is the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant was one of the items that was intended to be kept in the temple, uh, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And it was supposed to be uh, it was supposed to stay in the Holy of Holies. And when the tabernacle was to be transported from place to place, it, the Ark of the Covenant had to be transported a very special way, and only the Levites could carry it, and even then they had to use these special poles um, that would hook into these rings on the side of the Ark of the Covenant to move it around. Like, like no one could just touch the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was extremely holy, and within the Ark of the Covenant was uh, several items, but one of them is the Ten Commandments. The tablets of the Ten Commandments were stored inside of the Ark of the Covenant. So these tablets of the Ten Commandments, they represent the Word of God. This is the Word of God. They represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol of St. Mary because the, the, the Word of God is within her, is inside of her. Actually, on the, 
the Sunday Theotokeia praises that we pray in the midnight praises, it speaks in great detail about all of the symbols related to uh, the, the temple, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, all these things that are symbols of St. Mary. So St. Mary is uh, represented in this Ark of the Covenant. Within her is the Word of God. So it happened, contrary to, contrary to God's commandment, but it happened that the Israelites were transporting the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. It's the cart being pulled by an animal. Again, that's not the way it was supposed to be transported. And so it happened that while the cart was moving, the Ark of the Covenant slipped off. Okay, and it says here in, sec in 2 Samuel 6, it says, When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the Ark of God. Because no one could touch the Ark of God. No one. It had to. It was handled in a very special way, right? So, and similarly, because this ark is a symbol of Saint Mary, it's like once Saint Mary has been consecrated, filled with this grace of the Holy Spirit for the incarnation of the Lord in her, who would dare to touch her again? Like, who would dare to have any kind of physical relationship with her? Like, like she was completely consecrated to God, and so just as Uzzah here, whenever he tried to touch the ark of the covenant, he fell dead right? It's like St. Mary is like representative of this ark, right? That anyone who would approach her, anyone who touched her in that way, um, also it, it was prohibited. So many different examples that we see the story of how St. Mary and St. Joseph became uh, together. Um, all of these explanations for the scripture of what it does actually mean, how do we understand the brothers of the Lord, the sisters of the Lord, and so on, um, and an explanation from the symbols of the Old Testament. So this is the reasons why and of course, there's many, many writings in the church fathers um, speaking about the virginity of St. Mary. This was a universal belief. Universally, everyone in the church for, 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 you know, up until very recent times. And actually, there were even in the early Protestant Reformation, the early Protestant movement, there were still many people who believed that St. Mary was ever virgin. The idea that she was not ever virgin came about more recently than even, um, even that time of the Protestant Reformation. So this is outlining just briefly why we believe that St. Mary is ever virgin. Does anyone have any questions or comments? Okay, and glory be to God forever, amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O God, for this day. We ask for your blessing in everything that we do. And we thank you, O Lord, during this time of the Holy 50 days that you remind us daily of the power of the resurrection working in all of us. Teach us to follow you, O Lord, and teach us to place our faith and trust in you as we try to navigate all of the darkness that's in this world and to stay protected, O Lord, from all the deceitfulness and the lies that are in it. Grant us strength, O Lord, as the church to be a safe harbor for all of your people and grant us to be a place where people who are seeking to leave the flood of the world to enter and to find salvation. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
the love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.